Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I'm thrilled to be with you today. Very, very special day. Uh, the Feast of the Sacred Heart of our Lord Jesus. And I think I've mentioned before that um, our Lord Jesus appeared to St. Gertrude um, and uh showed her his sacred heart uh, to spread that devotion and uh, some hundred years later, hundreds, a few hundred years later, he appeared to St. Margaret Mary with the same devotion uh, to spread that. And St. Gertrude asked him why uh, our Lord didn't tell us of this, of his sacred heart in the Gospels. And uh, she said it was because there would be a time that that devotion would truly be needed, and it is now for sure. And we have in our community, as Benedictine sisters, uh, we have both um, St. Benedict and St. Francis de Sales as our patrons, and St. Gertrude, to whom our Lord appeared, uh, is the daughter of St. Benedict, and St. Margaret Mary, a daughter of St. Francis de Sales. So uh, it's a very, very special feast day for us. And one of our sisters is named Sister Gertrude Maria of the Sacred Heart. So a most special day. And I'd like to read a homily that uh, was written in the 1800s uh, by Father Francis Xavier um, Winninger. And it's on the Sacred Heart. And uh, he writes, centuries have passed since our Lord and Savior, the loving Jesus, in his visible presence, walked to the earth. And as the years rolled on, he asks of every Catholic soul the same question, which he put to the Prince of Apostles, lovest thou me? And everyone should reply as the ardent Peter, yes, Lord, I love thee. And of course, Peter said that after he had denied our Lord three times. Yet the answer is not the same. For St. Peter not only assured the Lord of his love, but he added, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And the reason Peter said that is because our Lord asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? Peter, do you love me? And twice uh, Peter said yes, and the third time our Lord asked him, um, he, uh, he, he gave up and he said, Lord, I can't tell you I love Basically, I'm translating the passage because agape and phileo, two words, are used for love. And so basically when our Lord said to Peter at the end of um, the Gospels, Lord, Peter, do you love me? He said, uh, Peter, do you agape? Do you truly love me? And Peter knew he had denied our Lord three times. And he answered, yes, Lord, I love thee. But he used the word phileo, which is brotherly love. In other words, uh, our Lord said to Peter, Peter, do you really, really love me? And Peter said, Lord, I like you a lot. <laughs> he couldn't tell me loved him because he failed him. And so Jesus said another time, do you love me, Peter? 
and Lord and Peter said, I love you. Well, I like you a lot. So our Lord used the word agape. And Peter came down back with phileo. I really like you, Lord, because he was a how could he say I love you with the life that he lived and his denial of Christ. So in the third time when Jesus said, Do you love me? Um, he actually used Peter's word, which means, Peter, do you even like me a lot? Do you even phileo me? And Peter couldn't bear. He was heartbroken because he knew he had failed God. And he said, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. In other words, Peter was saying, don't look at what I do, Lord. My life and my love have failed outwardly, but look at my heart and know that I love thee. And Father Weninger goes on to say, if our divine Lord possessed not the power to read um, what is written in the inmost recesses of our hearts, he might be deceived by the assurance of a love which has no place therein and indiscriminately bestow those rich treasures of grace which he loves so well to give and which we require to work out our salvation in that state of life to which we have each one been assigned. But the Lord searcheth the heart of man, and he knoweth if his lips speak truth. And too often, my dearest Christians, he writes, the lives even of those who possess the gift of faith so directly contradict their professions that to them might be applied the words of Isaac, quote, the voice is like the voice of Jacob, but the hands are those of Esau. Oh, what heartbreaking words. The lips say, I love my Jesus who died for me. But as actions speak louder than words, they often proclaim the falsity of the assertion. We cannot sufficiently appreciate the necessity of exclaiming ourselves carefully on this point. And it were well to do so in presence of the sacred heart as it beats in our mists in the most holy sacrament. What answer could we make to this question of our Lord? Could we truly say with Peter, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Beloved in Christ, in this regard, I will put into the mouth of our Savior. Now I'm still reading Father Weninger. Down, um, I will put into the mouth of our Savior those words of Holy Scripture, quote, Is thy heart right as my heart is with thy heart? That's from, uh, from Kings in the Old Testament. And after you have listened attentively to my words today, let each one make answer to his soul and his God. O Mary, Mother of Jesus, who loveth him with the most sincere and maternal love, Grant that we also may love him with sincere and filial love. I speak in the most holy name of Jesus for the honor and glory of God. The first mark, beloved, the first mark of sincere love is the silent testimony of the heart itself, which is felt only by those who love. The little child, which never even heard the word love, feels it in the depths of its tender heart toward its mother, who lavishes upon it every fond endearment as it lovingly clings about her neck. 
Question your own heart, he writes, as to its feelings. Whenever you pronounce the sacred name of Jesus or even think of him, St. Bernard sometimes, after he had uttered that holy name, tasted a sweetness upon his lips as though he had eaten honey. Can you say, O Christian, that your feelings are like his? Is it with you, as St. Augustine declares of himself, that you find everything wherein the name of Jesus does not occur, insipid and without interest? You love Jesus, you say, but if his name leaves you insensible and cold, I am forced to doubt the sincerity of your love. But as it is also true that mere feeling is very deceptive, therefore show by your life that you really speak the truth. The second mark of sincere love is the care one takes not to grieve or offend the object of his love. Thus it may happen that a wife says to her husband, do you love me? And what is his probable reply? Silly question, would I have married you had I not? But evening comes and the charms of home are powerless to keep him there. So he goes to the tavern where the midnight hour finds him still. Yet he knows how much he will grieve his faithful wife by his evil course, is she not perfectly right? Therefore, if she says within herself, thy lips say I love thee, but thy life say it is a lie. Thy love is not sincere, or thou wouldst not be so ready to grieve my heart. Christian, your Savior asks you, do you love me? How does your life answer this question of the Lord? With what care do you endeavor not only to commit a mortal sin, which would at once banish Christ from your heart, but to avoid committing even one deliberate venial sin, which grieves and afflicts your Lord? Do you watch over your conscience by the most assiduous practice of the particular examine? If so, then, indeed, you speak the truth. But if it would seem that you are careless in regard to the trifling sins and imperfections, if you neglect the particular examine, you place yourself in the greatest danger of sinning, even grievously, and your lips would utter a lie. Your love is only an illusion. Even if you would read from your book the most ardent affections of love, while your lips say, yes, Lord Jesus, I love you, your life cries out, it is false. But how is it then that if you live, um, if you live with the guilt of mortal sin upon your soul, ah, then indeed, you deeply grieve your Savior and banish him from your heart. Oh, beloved, uh, it's true of so many of us that we say one thing with our lips and another with our actions and our, what we speak um, is one thing, but it betrays our heart. Dear ones, um, there's the music for our first break. We'll take your calls and emails after the second break and we'll be right back. Hello. 
beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Hi, this is Jesse Romero, Catholic lay evangelist, retired Los Angeles County Deputy Sheriff and host of Jesus 911. Heard right here on the Station of the Cross. If you're ready to discuss saving the family, saving the church in America, then tune in every week at 2 p.m. Eastern as we take on the world, the flesh, and the devil with clarity and charity. God bless you. Keep the faith. Stay tuned to the Station of the Cross. This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Could there be just one word that truly sets the Catholic Church apart from all other churches? Yes, there is. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. That word is retain. How can one word bring such distinction? Well, understanding that retain means to hold back or to keep. Jesus tells the apostles, if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Secondly, so what does that world say about sin? The therapist says, forgive yourself. New Agers say it's just a state of mind. And the Evangelical says, just tell Jesus no matter how grave the sin, he'll forgive you directly. And finally, the word retain. We all know that non-Catholics don't go to a pastor to confess grave sins. Why? Because in Protestant thinking, you get to leapfrog humans and go directly to Jesus. And guys, let's don't hide under the newest term, be accountable. Hey, we all will be accountable up to the point that it hurts. Is embarrassing or is criminal? My priest can say, Steve, your sin's not forgiven. Does your pastor? I think not. Why? Have you ever heard backlash, decreasing church attendance, and loss of revenue? Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved. To Mother Miriam live, I'm live, and I'm uh, so happy to be with you on this most glorious feast of the Sacred Heart. And um, we are um, reading a sermon from the 1800s, 1877, by Father Francis Xavier Weninger, and um, uh, he's talking about how we might love our Lord and how it is that often. Uh, many of us say one thing with our lips, but another with our heart. So he's giving us marks of the sincere love. And he says the first mark of sincere love is the silent testimony of the heart itself, which is felt only by those who love. Um, The second mark of sincere love is the care one takes not to grieve or offend the object of his love. Oh, wait, hold on a moment. Okay, Um, not to grieve or offend the object of his love. Um, In other words, what we say with our lips should truly reflect our heart and and our life. The third mark of sincere love is the desire to please the beloved and to do with zeal what is required of us by the one whom we love. A well-known proverb says that love can read in the eyes of the beloved the desire of his heart 
The same is true of a sincere love toward Jesus. A wife needs um, uh, not to ask her husband whether he loves her, although he is of a very undemonstrative nature, never expressing his love, if his actions show that he does, if he is quick to anticipate every wish of her heart and fulfill it, if possible, therein lies the real test of love. And the same is true of the sincerity of our love toward Jesus. What he requires of us is made known by his admonition, follow me, be ye holy as your Father in heaven is holy. Ask your heart with what zeal you walk in the path of Christian perfection, whether it is your earnest wish to become holy. And not only that, he writes, but what zeal do you manifest in assisting Jesus to extend his kingdom on earth through zeal in the exercise of the spiritual and corporal works of mercy? With what solicitude do you endeavor to prevent others from offending God? particularly those whom the Lord has confided to your care, watching that they fulfill their duties as faithful and zealous children of the church. And I, I pause here. I, I know we won't be able to read the entire article, but I pause to mention, as, as I always do, the home and parents. Do you love your children, dear ones, if you don't discipline them? Do you love them if you don't teach them the virtues, if you don't teach them the Catholic faith, if you assume schools or church will teach them? That's not love. Do you love them uh, if you let them walk out of the house in, in a modest clothing and, and be shamed? Uh, that's not love. Uh, whom um, the person that is loved will be... Um, uh, will learn to love God. The person we love because God first loved us. Love your children. They may resist. They may fight. Don't let your daughters be dressed um, immodestly, mothers. Don't let them say, well, they're going to say, but everybody, this is what everybody wears. Um, tell your children that it's not what we wear. If we even claim to be Catholic or to love our Lord. Father Weninger continues, do you try earnestly to lead infidels and heretics to the way of salvation and the knowledge of the true and only God wherein salvation is to be found and to support over the whole earth the kingdom of God that zealous missionaries may be able to preach the gospel among heathens? Can you say with truth that you are zealous in each of the above duties? If so, then you may indeed rejoice, for it is well with you, and your life replete with holy deeds shows that you sincerely love your God. And I say here too, dear ones, so many people say, I have a dear friend who's not a Christian, um, and uh, I'm, I'm afraid to talk to her about God because I don't want it to end our friendship. Well, that's not love. That's not love. Uh, faithful, the proverb says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
if if you care more about your friendship or her or his friendship with you more about that friendship than about the salvation of their soul then there's no love in you there's affection but there's no love there's no true love love wants what's best for the other soul francis um Father Weninger says, on the contrary, and oh, with how many is this not the case? If you are satisfied to live an ordinary Christian life, and even this merely from the force of habit, if you do not at the very moment you awake from sleep, resolve to let your aim be to grow always better and better, to constantly multiply the good works you perform, to never lose an opportunity to save and sanctify others, if I repeat, beloved in Christ, it is thus with you, then your love for Jesus is far from being sincere. And if you are content to be solicitous only for your immediate family or your own parish church, as far as necessity requires, and even if you show yourself an active parish child, yet neglect everything in regard to caring for the salvation of souls as if it were a duty belonging only to priests, then the sincerity of your love towards Jesus is rather self-deception. Whosoever loves Jesus sincerely provides for the salvation of souls, even though he be not a Paul or a priest, Remembering the admonition of the disciple of love, as he has shed his blood for us, so we should be ready to shed ours for every soul. The fourth mark of sincere love is that magnanimity and fidelity which leads us to make sacrifices, even if we should have to suffer by assisting others. Behold, a married couple, blessed with the goods of the world, with health and happiness, because prosperity has smiled upon their lives. You ask me whether they love one another, and to what degree? A question difficult to answer, while they continue to lead such a delightful life. On the contrary, suppose a youth and maiden to enter the married life with every prospect of health and happiness, and behold, after a few months, the hand of the Lord is laid heavily, heavily upon her, and he calls her to pass under his chastening rod. The wife becomes incurably ill. The husband loses his entire wealth, yet their love remains the same. Yes, its flame burns even more brightly than before. Ah, yes, they love each other truly. You say, yes, I love Jesus. Show it by your love for the cross, by your patience. If the Lord imposes his chastening hand upon you, if then your affections of love multiply toward Jesus and you esteem yourself happy that he has drawn you to himself by the royal way of the cross, we know that you really have a sincere love towards him. And what in all this world so effectively conduces to this condition of sincere love as one glance at the most sacred heart of Jesus? 
and an assiduous cultivation of that beautiful devotion. For that heart shed the last drop of blood for you on the cross. In sincere love, you have this sacred heart present in the blessed sacrament. Go then before the tabernacle and think of him who nourishes you so often with the holy sacrament and gives it to you as food. The better, oh, this is, this is the end, I think, of this article, dear ones. This is a, a kind of a very tragic story. The better to illustrate this, Father says, I will relate the following event. It happened that a ship was lost at sea, and those of the passengers who escaped the wreck were cast upon a desert island. Among them was a mother with a nursing infant, However, the joy of the passengers at their rescue was of brief duration, for they discovered that the soil was bleak and barren and afforded no food whatever, and no vessel appeared to bear them away. The mother sat holding the starving child at, to her breast, from which it had drawn the very last drop of milk. The mother had no nutriment, nutriment how could she nourish it? It drew with such force that it took from her veins the lifeblood, yet she uttered no word of complaint. The mother becoming weaker and weaker, the passengers entreated her to let the child die, and perhaps her own life might be saved. But she was deaf to their prayers and still allowed the baby to drink her blood, yes, to the very last moment of her life which was indeed at hand, for her head drooped upon that faithful breast. And when the prayers of wrecked passengers, that they might be rescued, were heard, and a vessel came in sight, she was dead. The child lived and grew to man's estate. And when the youth heard what his mother had done for him, and how she had nourished him with her blood, the heroic act, filled his heart with such ardent love for her that from the very depths of his yearning heart, he often cried, Oh, mother, mother, could I but once behold you, if even for one moment, only to thank you for your devoted maternal love. Oh, how happy would I not feel. Christians, that mother, what that mother did, the sacred heart of Jesus is doing daily in the most holy sacrament and has done it for 1900 years by nourishing us with his precious blood. As children of God, as members of the church, we can thank him for it personally. Oh, then make good presence, make good use of his presence on the altars, particularly by frequent and worthy communions. No doubt that will enkindle and nourish in your hearts the fire of divine love as nothing else could in the world. And you will find your dearest joy in cherishing, cherishing a sincere, ardent, and faithful love toward the sacred heart, the sacred heart of Jesus. Amen. We'll be right back after the break, beloved. Call in with anything on your heart. Toll free one 511 5483
This is Franciscan Media's Saint of the Day for June 16th. Today we celebrate St. John Francis Regis. Born into a wealthy French family in 1597, John Francis Regis was so impressed by his Jesuit educators that he chose to enter the Society of Jesus at age 18. Following his ordination, the young priest undertook missionary work in various French towns. Most sermons of the day were poetic, but his were plain. They revealed the fervor within him and attracted people of all classes. He spent many mornings in the confessional or at the altar celebrating Mass. Afternoons were reserved to visits to prisons and hospitals. As France suffered from prolonged civil and religious strife, the Bishop of Vivier invited the charismatic young priest to work among his people. Some of them had been deprived of the sacraments for 20 years or more, and various forms of Protestantism were thriving. For three years, Father Regis traveled throughout the diocese, conducting missions. He succeeded in converting many people and in bringing many others back to religious observances. John Francis Regis spent the last years of his life preaching. His canonization came less than 100 years after his death in 1640. There's more about the saints along with inspiration and Catholic resources at our website, saintoftheday.org. From Franciscan Media, this has been Saint of the Day. When I was outside of the church, there was always an unsettled feeling. There was always a feeling of something missing and something not complete. The, the deal clincher is we found our way to our, our parish. And we met just an incredible pastor. We learned things that we'd never been taught. Wouldn't be the person that I am without the church and without the sacraments, particularly the Eucharist. I can't live without it. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, second hour. We are here. I'm thrilled to be with you. Our lines are open, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Uh, toll free, one eight seven seven. 877 let me see now, one 5483 or email at mother at the Um we have an email from uh, someone who writes it anonymously and says, how are mere humans expected to forgive everyone when we are taught that only God forgives those who are repentant? Wouldn't this seem to imply that we have to be more forgiving than God himself, which is theoretically impossible because he is perfect in all things? No, in fact, dear one, we are instructed to forgive one another from our heart. And if we don't, then God will not forgive us. Um, we cannot forgive the sin between us and God. And every sin we sin, every time we sin against one another, we have also sinned against God. When uh, David, King David, committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her husband murdered, um, he wrote Psalm 51 as a psalm of repentance, and he said, Lord, against thee the only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight, 
every single sin we do against anything or anyone uh, is first against God. And God alone can forgive that. God alone can forgive the sins that separate us from him. But if we sin against one another, we must forgive one another that as Jesus forgave us. In other words, we pardon them. Uh, and what we're pardoning, that, pardoning them for is the, the hurt that they've given us, uh, the temporal effects of that sin uh, before God that they've earned. But the sin that has separated them from God, uh, God alone can forgive. So if someone uh, hurts me or says something against me or steals from me or injures me in any way, um, if they come to me and say they are sorry, I must forgive. Je uh, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, should I forgive how many times? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven, meaning unlimited times. Always forgive, no matter how many times you've been injured, even by the same person. Our part is to always forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. And we also ask for God's forgiveness as well, again, for the sins that have separated us from him. So um, read the Gospel of Luke um, and uh, uh, or all the Gospels. Read um, the, the prayer of our Father. Lord, um, forgive us our sins, our trespasses, our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. If we don't forgive those who trespass against us, God will not forgive our sins. Um, and sometimes we don't feel like it, but um, God didn't feel like it when he hung from the cross and he forgave us. While we were yet in our sin, he forgave us. And Apostle Paul writes, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. Uh, let me see now. Go down there. Um, um, from Anonymous, we have an email uh, and who writes, Mother Miriam, I have heard you give counsel to many who have found themselves in difficult marriages. In most cases, you have encouraged those individuals to tough it out for the sake of keeping their marriage. Well, let me just say, uh, I've, I've never used those words, tough it out, but my, my, uh, my heart is to say, be true to your vows and don't flee when hardship comes because God will allow suffering in our lives to make us saints. And there's no uh, growing of any saint apart from suffering. Uh, I would say trust God for the trials in your marriage because he's growing you up to uh, help you to get to heaven and help your spouse get to heaven. And this person says, I agree with you and know that you are saying this because God does not like divorce. Well, one, yes, he hates divorce, actually, but also because I absolutely trust dear one, that every trial that comes to us, nothing touches us except what is from God. Nothing touches us, whether it's, it's evil. God has allowed it. It doesn't mean that he sent it, but nothing touches us that he doesn't allow. 
And most of the trials we get, I would say every one of them, would be an encouragement to grow in virtue because it's, it's not our actions that reveal what is in us, but our reactions. And our reactions to trials um, shows us how much we yet have to grow. And so this same person says, my question is, what is the line, quote unquote, line that must be crossed for a person to consider removing themselves from such a situation as a verbally, physically abusive marriage that such a line even exists? I don't believe it does. Uh, Till death do us part is the vow. Um, verbally, physically abusive, no, no. If you're being abused uh, physically, oh, verbally, physically, yes. If you're being abused physically, uh, then I don't say get a divorce, but get yourself to safety. Don't stay in the house with a spouse who is abusing you physically. Uh, verbally is not a cause for you to leave. That's a cause for you to return um, cursing with love. But if you're being physically abused, uh, you don't have to be subject to that. So you need to find a way either for your spouse to leave or for you to leave and go to safety. But it has nothing to do with divorce. Uh, again, if your marriage is not a Catholic marriage, if you are not married in the church, if your marriage is invalid, you could try that um, and try to get an annulment uh, because your marriage was never valid to begin with. Anyone who receives a degree of nullity, it's not a Catholic divorce. It says that you were never legally married to begin with. So perhaps you are um, may, may be married outside the faith, outside the church, or your spouse was never truly Catholic. Um, you certainly might have a cause to leave and possibly even to divorce and, um, and get an annulment. I, I don't advise that. I simply don't advise that because um, if God has brought you to faith, you are the key to that spouse's salvation. And if you could return abuse with love, if you could, if your life uh, will show him that uh, it's, it's not merely human response, but it's the love of God. If you can show, let's say, an unbelieving spouse, if you can make them believe that um, you wouldn't love them more uh, if they became Catholic, and you won't love them less if they don't, if you are faithful and true, God will bless you. Um, there is a, um, a book uh, titled, Why I Became a Priest. It's the life of Elizabeth Lesur. Her husband was an atheist, and she was prohibited from many things, a Catholic, but she was very faithful, and she kept a diary all to herself. And after she died, her husband, who was still an atheist, found her diary, and he read it, and she saw how true she was to her faith and how much she loved in our Lord's way and showed her faith by her life. Um, and he not only became a Catholic, but he became a priest. So I would say, um, with every trial, trust that God has allowed it, no matter what it is. And he only allows trials to make us saints. That's it. 
Um, but where you draw the line is not to submit to physical abuse. I, I would say the line is there. Again, not for divorce, but to get yourself to safety and pray and offer sacrifices for your husband's salvation. I know a lot of people are going to be angry with me and disagree with this, but that's because we live in a modern society that says I'll do what I want, when I want, how I want, and I have reason to do it. Well, you may have reason to do it, but to be faithful to God, you would not submit to divorce. The scriptures say that God hates divorce. Excuse me. I'm just taking um, some water. We have an email from someone um, who writes in, Nina, and she says, Hi, Mother. I need your advice, please. I have six children. My oldest is two hours away in college. My children's ages are 18, 13, 11, 9, 6, and a one-year-old. Oh, bless you. I have an 86-year-old mother who has dementia. I have three other sisters with adult children. They take care of her. They are asking that I help out with taking care of my mother. I don't know how to do it. I barely have time for my husband and children because I work full time. Oh, help. How on earth do you work full time with six children? She says, my day ends at 12 to 1 a.m. and starts as early as 4.30 to 5 a.m., I don't know how long, dear one, you're going to last on four hours sleep. I recently started getting anxiety and I have sciatica. I just cry when I feel so overwhelmed. I don't blame you, which is almost every day. In addition to my 13-year-old has psoriasis, which causes itching, burning on her skin every minute. Please help me, mother. I love my mother dearly but I am about to have a mental breakdown. Please help. Thank you, Nina. Nina, I wish I were on the phone with you. Why are you working at all, let alone full-time? How on earth are you working full-time with six children? Um, I don't understand it. Uh, I don't know if you have a husband. Uh, is he home? You haven't said anything about that. Uh, I won't assume that your husband is not around, but it sounds like that. Why you'd have six children with no husband at home and a one-year-old, no less. Um, so uh, if you have three sisters with adult children and they're taking care of your mother, uh, why I don't know why they're asking for your help. Uh, you need their help. I don't know why they're asking for your help with taking care of, of your mother. Um, but I all, more importantly, Nina, I don't know why you are out working with six children at home. So that's the more important thing. Uh, I can't imagine you will not have a breakdown with the life you're living. Um, God has not intended that life. You can do it. If you're a single mother with six children and working, many have done that before. But it is certainly, certainly very difficult. Your sisters, I pray, if they're close enough, would be helping you if the children are grown, uh, helping you to shop and clean the house and babysit. So um, 
I need to know further, Danina, what your situation is. Um, and you can simply at this stage tell them that you need help and that you don't want to have a breakdown, but um, you truly need help. Uh, so um, hopefully you could write in again or call and tell me your situation. And if there's no husband at home, uh, the fact that you're raising six children on your own. Uh, God bless you, dear ones. There's the music for our uh, final break. We'll be right back after the break to take your calls and your emails. one 511 5483 or email at We'll be right back. Atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore, science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. The Station of the Cross is listener-funded and we value your ongoing generosity. In this fast-paced world, it's easy to let your recurring donation slip due to something like a new address or a card number change. If you suspect that we might not have your up-to-date donor information, you can check with us during regular business hours at 1-877-888-6279, extension 104, or anytime online at thestationofthecross.com. Bumper magnets are a great way to promote the gospel as proclaimed through Catholic radio. We hear all the time from new listeners who were introduced to the station through a bumper magnet. We'd be happy to send you a bumper magnet so that others can come to know our Lord. Just go to thestationofthecross.com and find our bumper magnet request button under the About tab. That's thestationofthecross.com under the About tab. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dear ones, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. Ten minutes, plenty of time for you yet, if you wish to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Troy who writes, Hi, Mother. First, thank you for all you do for our church 
and being a guiding light for your listeners. Thanks, my dear brother. I have a question, he says, about my mother-in-law, who left the faith over 30 years ago when she was a teenager. Her first marriage was not in the Catholic Church, and her spouse passed after many years of marriage. She has since been remarried to another man in an outside Protestant wedding about two years ago. This is his third marriage, and they both attend Protestant church service every Sunday. He is in poor health and does not have much more time on his side, to be frank, and my family and I do not like him very much. My question to you is, what might be a good way to try and convert him to the Catholic Church before it's too late, as his marriages are invalid and to my understanding, my mother-in-law and him are committing act of adultery in doing so. Well, let me just say for your mother-in-law, um, uh, her, her, her husband died, you said, um, on, so it, it wouldn't be adultery. But uh, on this gentleman's part, you said it's his third marriage. So, yes, if he is still married, if he is married in the eyes of God, then they are both committing adultery. Um, he writes, as you can see, this is difficult, but I have them and want what's, but I love them and want what's best for this situation, as he will soon meet his maker. I would very much like for both of them to become Catholic and come back to the faith and avoid these mortal sins. Thank you, Mother. God bless you, Troy. Troy, um, I'm wondering if you've ever spoken to your mother-in-law about, first, about her coming back to the faith. You would like to convert him, but I'd say the way to convert him might be through your mother-in-law. What I might do, dear one, is try to get together with both of them in a private place, your home or their home, where it's not you know, outside where they won't be worried about people hearing the conversation, where they won't be distracted, and go to them and say, I have something very serious to talk to you about. And I ask for your charity, your kindness in hearing me out. And then just sit with them and say, you know, uh, my faith, I'm Catholic. I believe what God has said through his church is the way to heaven and what is the way by our own choice to hell and i'm concerned for you both um not only because of your age but we don't know that we have tomorrow um and the fact is uh both of you are separated from god right now and you're, you're on a path to hell now it's going to be very very uh, hard language for them but say I, i'm asking you uh, to give me a great gift in hearing me out our lord spoke more about hell than any other subject um, and he came for us so that we won't go to hell but that we'll spend eternity with him in heaven forever and love uh, uh, again proverbs says faithful are the wounds of a friend and i do love you um, and I, I want, I don't know how to help you, but I want to tell you that it's never too late to turn back to God. And there's no amount of sins that he won't forgive if we come to him in repentance. So even though this is um, 
John, your first marriage, and, and Mary, whatever their names are, um, your second, your second marriage is legitimate because your first husband is deceased. Um, and yet this marriage is not legitimate uh, because you're married outside the church, because you're really living in fornication, um, because John has not had a, an annulment. So um, talk to them mostly about um, the love of God and that he came to save us from a life without him. He came to save us from death. And if we continue in the path that we are, we're on the path to death. We're on the path that says there's a way that seems right to a man. Um, uh, but it is not right in the end. So um, just come to them with love. Pray a novena, come to them with love, talk to them respectfully, talk to them together. And if they poo-poo you and they say, well, we appreciate you, you know, sincere, uh, but we're going to do what we do, I would just say, I, I understand that, but you're in danger of hell. You must know that. You can't do a thing about it if you don't know that. So I would do that, um, Troy, as lovingly uh, as you can. Um, Hacinta writes, can you please explain whether it is okay to assign a name to our guardian angel? Would that in any way be disrespectful? I don't know the answer to that, uh, Jacinta. I feel that it would be uh, myself. If I just wanted to call my guardian angel by name, and unless he told me his name, um, I don't want to assign a name to him because that may not be his name. And it would say to him, I don't care what your name is. I want to give you a name. I want your name to be what I want it to be. I wouldn't do that. I would leave things as they are. And I would say, my dear angel, I would call him by what he is. Um, dearest angel. I don't know that it would be disrespectful. I can't speak for your angel. Um, it's not a sinful situation. But I, I personally would, would shy away from that. Um, because it's not going to be his name. Um, okay, um, we are almost near the end. Um, we have a, an email from someone who writes it anonymously and says, I'm not Catholic, so I struggle with the idea of Catholics praying to Mary and the saints when they could just as easily pray to God. They can and they do, they pray to both, who has the power to fix all things. Maybe you can help clear up some of this confusion. Yes, and I would love to do that. In fact, I'm going to save your email for Monday so I can give it um, a fuller answer. But if you can, dear one, maybe you could try to get a hold of a book by Patrick Madrid. And it, uh, the title is Any Friend of God's, G-O-D apostrophe S, Any Friend of God's is a Friend of Mine. Um, that book will help you tremendously with understanding the communion of saints uh, and purgatory as well. Patrick has done an excellent job. I read that book on my way to the church. He's done a tremendous job. So uh, get that if you can. Any friend of God's, G-O-D apostrophe S, is a friend of mine. And read that if you can. It's a small book, but it's truly tremendous. Um, 
and then we'll we'll take up again your question on Monday, uh, because I had to deal with that coming into the Catholic Church. Um, uh, and Paul says we're to pray for all saints everywhere, and we are all saints, um, and so we need to pray for one another, no matter where we are. Okay, dear ones, there's the music for the close of our program. Um, I wish you again a most blessed feast of the Sacred Heart, that heart that so loved the world and is so little loved in return. And a most blessed weekend. We'll be with you on Monday on video. God bless you.